told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee's and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven and beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. Thank you, sister. You may be seated. All right, we have a treat for you today. I know when I came in, you saw me with a sports jacket and thought I was preaching, but... But no, not today. We'll get out here a little early. Um, <laughs> but today we have um, just a wonderful man of God that will come up and bring forth the word. You know, as I was looking at his bio, I was like, wow, this, I'm, he has more degrees than a thermometer. Um, <laughs> so we know that he is theologically tight. But when you read his bio and just see all the work that the Lord is doing in his life. You also see it's just not an academic um, thing, but that he is really serving the Lord well, and the Lord is using him. And so over the years, Ken has held key leadership positions in local church and parachurch ministries. He was a church planner in Detroit with the Assemblies of God for three and a half years at Great and Truth Assemblies of God, and has been on staff for 16 years at Life Challenge Ministries in Detroit and Flint, Michigan. Together with his wife, Rachel, Ken serves on the parent council of Calvin College, Grand Rapids, Michigan. He has served as associate pastor and as a deacon for three different terms at Revival Tabernacle in Highland Park, Michigan. Mr. Keene has was also a chaplain for incarcerated youth ministries for four years. He and his wife, Rachel, have enjoyed 27 years of marriage. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And have had the pleasure of raising a daughter, Chloe, and three sons, Noah, Zion, Ezra. Ken is an accomplished drummer. Now you're just showing off. <laughs> and enjoy reading and sports. Amen. So. Can you come on up, Pastor, and uh, let's greet the man of God as he comes up. Again, thank you so much for coming here and blessing us. We appreciate you, and let us pray. Lord, um, we are never at a loss of good teaching here at MacAv Community Church, that even when our pastor is away, Lord, you still bless us with bringing just godly men to come here and encourage us with your word, Lord. And, and we just thank you for our brother, Pastor Ken, who has come to, to minister to our souls, Lord. And um, Lord, we, we thank you for him. And Lord, we pray that you will use him in a mighty way, um, to touch us deeply, Lord, and just remind us how awesome and how, as the song we sang, Lord, good, yes. good you are. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, All right, thank you. 
Thank you. All right. Well, good morning, Mac Avenue. It is really nice to be with you, and uh, it's a real privilege. Uh, I've gotten to know Pastor Leon over about man, maybe the last four to five years as a friend, and uh, he's just a, he's a good friend. He's a great brother, and um, so I've, I've been here before lurking around the building when you weren't here. Uh, so I've been here for uh, nine church meetings, but uh, it's my first time here for service. So uh, it is such a delight. And you know what? I really admire how you all feel. You feel deeply. Like uh, for the album, when you were reading the requests, that was uh, powerful. It was hard. And it's uh, terrible. But that's how you should pray. So thank you for your example. Thank you for absorbing, for drinking in the sorrows of the community around you, but then turning it over to God Almighty. Amen? So before I get to our text text, I just thought of a scripture to read you that might help encourage you. You've heard it probably, but Psalm 61. I'm just going to read it to you. The 61st Psalm, once I get there. Reads like this. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, or when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower, against the enemy. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I pray that uh, we just pray for you if I could, and then we'll go right to God's good word. Well, Lord, uh, we weren't built for this. It's too much for us. It's over our heads. <laughs> so that's why we don't, we're not alone. That's why we have a Savior. That's why we have a God. That's why we have a rock. Uh, you know, there's so many things here that were mentioned today in prayer, events that happened even just this morning. Even I myself was just getting a text there of something very, very difficult. And so, uh, Lord, uh, and so the cross shows us, Lord, that God himself drank the cup. And God himself joined with us in our plight but yet without sin. And God himself was raised on the third day, the Son of God. So whatever all this means, Lord, it is gospel hope. Pray that we would drink that too. So help us today, Lord. Lord, I need your help to preach to a fine congregation. We pray all this and pray the, the, the outpouring of the Spirit. Spirit of Christ, we ask all this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, anybody ever, have you ever like uh, felt like you were right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like, look at my watch, right? Yeah, I was like, yes. 
All right, so uh, uh, sometimes you might feel like you're right or kind of like superior because you can play ball. You know what I'm saying? You ever like made the team? Nobody ever made a team? You ever, anybody made a team before? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you can run. You can run track, you play basketball, you can throw. Does that look okay? You can catch. So sometimes when you're good at something uh, or when you're maybe more right about something, you can begin to, um, you know, slowly start to despise the one who doesn't feel that way or can't play. Uh, maybe if you, anybody a musician you knows I play an instrument pretty good, musician, you know. Sometimes, uh, you know, I mentioned I'm a drummer, so. I know what it means to be a snob, you know, like a music snob. So no, no musicians, no, nobody else here except me has been a music snob, all right, before. So I'm not accusing anybody of that, all right? That's only me. This is my personal sin. But, uh, you know, there was the day where it was kind of like, uh, back, you remember when, when albums were in? So I had them all. Classic jazz, uh, fusion jazz. So I was that guy that would tell you, like, bro, that ain't jazz. And kind of, you know, scoff, you know, kind of scoff at you, kind of like, that's Kenny G. That's what you call easy listening. My wife often tells me, she says, stop doing that hand motion to the children. You know, I'd be like, so, so, so uh, it's like, uh, you know, you can, you, can, you can get good at something and all of a sudden you kind of despise them. We used to have a name for drummers. This I'm not going to say it. All right, so, uh, there, so even among musicians, there's kind of like, like derogatory names and all that kind of stuff. For certain. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, anybody here ever went to Michigan State? Don't raise your hand. All right, here you are. It's too late. Uh, U of M? Don't raise your hand. Oh, God, it's too late. So, so uh, I didn't go to either one. But, uh, you know, sometimes you could be like, they're evil, you know, uh, sometimes jokingly. Sometimes not joking. All right, so, but you can, uh, don't say what political affiliation you might lean toward. You know, we kind of get into a day where the other side is just flat evil. Uh, they're bad. And uh, it's always something that we got to watch out for. Sometimes it is bad. Sometimes it really is bad. But, um, the Lord, uh, in this parable, talks to us interestingly about being justified, or if I can put it in a made-up word I just made up a few weeks ago, being righteousized. You ever get your meal supersized? I do every time. Could you? Supersize that, please. Very large, all right? So, uh, as you can tell. Now, God uh, is so good and so great, he's able to take sinners. He's able to righteousize them. He's able to make them righteous in his own eyes. We'll talk about that from this story today. But sometimes there can never be a dark side to that. Uh, if one begins to see themselves as righteous, in a certain way, 
you can start to, you know, kind of look down on another. In fact, that's kind of what this parable starts with. In verse 9, he also told this parable to some who, anybody there, trusted in themselves, but that they were righteous. And what did they do commensurately at the same time? Because they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, how did they then also treat? Yeah, there was, you know, there was a temptation to despise the other. And uh, so Jesus tells this parable for that reason. Um, I know we have children here today, so I'll try to be sensitive to our time. When Alvin said, I'll be shorter, I snickered. <laughs> it was like a sinister snicker. I was like, they'll see. So, wait I tell my wife, he said I was going to be shorter. I'll try to be. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, faith in ourselves is a, sometimes smuggles itself in and subtly takes the place of faith in God. Uh, we don't, as Christians, at the end of the day, believe in ourselves. Um, and so Jesus tells, as a brilliant storyteller, he tells a story about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. They both went up to the temple to pray one day. Now, these two guys, or these two types of vocations, these were like the epitome of a respected vocation versus a despised vocation. Pharisee, respected, tax collector, hated, despised. Kind of like a sellout. And so uh, I got a little, uh, little graphic here that talks about even today we have certain professions that are more respected and others that are more disrespected. And so let's start at the top. Nurses at the top. Any nurses in here? All right, so don't become arrogant nurses. <laughs> Thank God for you, all right? My sister is an RN, and it's a tough job. I've had nurses there at different health points in my family, so thank you for your hard work. 84% respect rate, 2% disrespect. Yeah. And uh, the 2% are wrong, all right? So <laughs> medical doctors are next. Pharmacists are next. I don't know if that kind of surprised me. A little bit, all due respect. High school teachers, whoo! My daughter is finishing her. Where's, I think it's Ashley, is that you? She's, yes. She's, she's got a year left in her secondary ed program. So right there with you. Hopefully next fall she'll be done. Uh, po- police officers. Now, isn't this interesting? What's at the bottom? Car salesmen and members of Congress. That's quite a combination right there. All right? So the least, at least according to Forbes, (laughs) all due respect, we need car salesmen too, all right? Thank you, those of you who sell cars, and if any of you are members of Congress. But anyway, so, uh, but car salesmen, 8% respected, 44% disrespected, 
And the members of Congress, 8% respected, 58% disrespected. So uh, this is kind of like what we got in our story. We got the Pharisee respected typically. You know, if you said, Paul said, yeah, I was a Pharisee. It's kind of like being a part of a, like a frat, you know. I used to have a couple of friends. I had a friend, he was in a fraternity when he was in college. So whenever he'd see one of his brothers, they would shake hands like this. And so I would come over and kind of be like, what are you doing? And they'd be like, they, they waved me off like, you can't see this, bro. You know, so was, uh, you, you can't see the secret handshake, all right? So uh, Pharisees were respected. They were like a, a, a wonderful fraternity uh, among the, 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 the priests, Jewish priests. They were kind of more the grassroots priests. Sadducees were a little bit more like the executive guys. Pharisees tend to be like the guys that ran the synagogues down to earth more so, more serious, seen as conservative, serious theologically, so on and so forth. Tax collector, he was bad. He was a rough guy. He was Jewish and he worked for Rome to collect taxes and extraneous fees that went along with those taxes and especially among the Jewish people, was often quite despised. Wasn't even permitted, in some cases, to vote or give testimony in court, just to show you how low their status was as tax collectors. But hey, sisters and brothers, let me just mention this. It is, don't make the mistake, I think maybe the Lord is starting to say this, he's always tricking us with these stories, Don't make the mistake of thinking that esteem and respect in the eyes of men is tantamount or immediately equal to being righteous in God's eyes. In fact, if you go back a couple of chapters to chapter 16 of Luke, verse 14, verse 15 says this, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he said, you are those, this is Luke 16, 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That's crazy. So sometimes, maybe even most times, what is often most highly esteemed in the eyes of culture might be exactly what God hates. And that's a tough one. I don't even know how to measure that. How does that happen? But the Lord Jesus is talking, so we've got to wrestle with his words, you know? We've got to work with that in some kind of way. So the Pharisees were probably the more respected, most respected, the tax collector, deeply disrespected. Also, two men are mentioned. You know, in Luke especially, Jesus tells a lot of two-person parables. He's always contrasting people. So like the parable of the prodigal son, you ever heard of the parable of the prodigal son? Actually, it's not what it is. It's the parable of two sons. So the first verse of, the, of Luke 15, 11 says a certain man had two sons. The whole parable is comparing these two, these two. Um, 
you know, you got the story where I guess you could say you had three, but you had the couple of the priest and the Levite who went past the man who'd been beaten nearly to death, and then the good Samaritan who comes and actually helps him unexpectedly. All right, these classically religious guys, this guy who's kind of a racial, social, religious outlier, and he helps the guy. What was that? Uh, you, you had uh, the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. They're kind of compared, and they're, uh, they're uh, you know, the words escaped me, but their destinies are reversed uh, in that story. And so uh, there's often this case where Jesus is using a couple of people to help us to see a certain kind of contrast. Like if you're watching a movie and you see two people living their lives separate, but they're both going to collide at some point, and that'll help make the movie or the story. The Pharisee and the tax collector. And so maybe that speaks to us uh, it at least begins to speak to us that it is not always who has the esteem in the eyes of men that is righteous in the eyes of God. Everybody with me on that? Kind of getting that point one? Amen. Uh, second thing about these two, back in Luke 18, it says in verse 10 that two men went up to the temple to pray. Uh, look at how they prayed in verse 11. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like, by the way, I hope he didn't like point, you know, I hope he didn't like, so, you know, I hope it wasn't like this, you know, a lot of people would be there at the same time for the hour of prayer. So I hope the Pharisee wasn't like, uh, you know, thank you. I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not like this tax collector, this guy over here. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so thankful that I'm not like him. This guy over here. Thank you. All right, so uh, I hope it didn't go something like that. Uh, But, yeah. Pharisee standing by himself. Translators have a rough one on this. Does anybody's Bible say something different besides standing by himself? Anybody's Bible read differently? Or is everybody ESV here? (laughs) Standing by himself, standing to himself, uh, prayed with himself, some translations say, or about himself, some translations say. It's a hard one. To translate, but the idea is probably something like this. He stood to himself. You know, he just kind of went to praying before God. He kind of, he, it, the idea is probably this. He had a sense of place when he prayed. Like, you know, I ought to be here. You know, of course God hears <laughs> prayers like, of people like me. Thank God I'm not like other people. Whom he don't hear. You know? And he kind of stepped out there and he just felt like he belonged. Hmm. And kissed his spiritual biceps in the mirror. 
You ever seen somebody? Uh, by the way, it was a bad move. You ever seen somebody? Uh, you know, I do this too. Take a picture of myself after a workout. No, I don't. All right, so. Uh, but it's, it's good. It's okay. You know, the mirror is lightly sweaty with condensation. Shirt is off. I'm, I'm sorry. And then the picture's taken. Getting it in. You know, what about you? You getting it in? All right, so, uh, so you got to get it in. You know, Dr. King, Dr. King said this uh, in his letters from a Birmingham jail. It said that uh, they said, you need to stop all this, what you're doing. You're, you're pushing too hard. Let the processes happen. And then when he responded, he said, you know, maybe you haven't seen, uh, you haven't looked in your children's eyes and seen the sense of nobodiness in their eyes. He used a phrase that always catches my mind, nobodiness. Nobodiness. And uh, that's, I think that the Pharisee had a sense of somebodiness. He was somebody. He ought to be there. He was entitled to this place before God. Of course, God would hear me. He had a sense of somebodiness. And so he prayed about himself or to himself, compared himself to others in his prayer, by the way. You know, I can do this. This can happen to me. It can happen to any of us. I was talking to my wife about this yesterday. There are times I'll look at my phone and somebody calls and I kind of put it back in my pocket. I'm kind of like, uh, you know, I just don't have time for this right now. God have mercy on me. And I get it. Sometimes you do have a lot of stuff to do, but it's not always that. Sometimes I just don't have time for it. You know, that person. God have mercy. And so uh, I think it's, at those times, maybe I've treated somebody like they were less than somebody. Or like I was too much of somebody. Can everybody kind of find me on this? Nobodiness, somebodiness. On the contrary, the tax collector. By the way, it's funny. Both men stand alone in this story. Most scholars say that both men were probably standing apart from the crowd, but for very different motivations. So the Pharisee is standing by himself. And he's kind of standing by himself like this. I mean, that's how I imagine him. The tax collector's standing by himself. Way off on the edge, on the periphery. He's alone. He doesn't feel like he can be a part, like he can be included. He's on the outside. He can't even lift his eyes to heaven. You notice what it says there? Verse... Uh, 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. 
you know, let me just mention something here, sisters and brothers. Not only, number one, is it not how we are esteemed in the eyes of men that justifies us in God's eyes, it's also not how deserving or undeserving we feel that justifies us in the eyes of God. You know, Paul said in one place, it's a small thing that I'm judged by you. But then he went on to say, that sounds kind of arrogant, but then he went on to say, you know what, I don't even judge myself. First Corinthians chapter 4. He said, now as far as I know, I don't have anything against myself. You ever read this passage before? I would take you there for the sake of time. Um, but First Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I, I don't, I, as far as I know, I don't have anything against myself. But even by that, I don't, I don't justify myself. It is God who judges me. It's all in his hands. Uh, and so uh, it is not, sometimes, y'all, this might be a part of what happens in the sin of judgment. In the sin of judging, there may be a quiet process where slowly but surely, for reasons that are kind of logged in my own consciousness, I begin to love myself and believe in my righteousness, and I begin to disdain or hate some neighbor somewhere. They just don't add up to me. So did you hear how the man prayed, how the, the, uh, the Pharisee prayed? Lord, first of all, I'm just so glad I'm different. I'm glad that I'm cut from a different cloth. I'm not like this joker and this knucklehead. And you start applying names to the different ones. I'm so glad I'm not like those guys that wear red hats and those guys wear blue ones. I'm so glad I'm not like the east sider or the west sider. I'm so glad I'm different in this way. Anybody remember when Jesus uh, predicted that all the disciples would forsake him and flee? Does anybody remember how Peter reacted at that point? One of the passages is Mark chapter 10. I won't take you there. But Peter said this, Lord, even if everyone else forsook you, and I want to add a little dramatic license if I could, you know I wouldn't. You know? Come on, man, baby, me and you. You know, ride or die, we goes way back, bro. Uh, I mean, come on. So he looks at Jesus kind of like, how could you feel that way about me? <laughs> you know. <laughs> he just, he, he, Peter had a kind of belief about himself. He was different than the other ten. Just not like them. You know it, Lord. You know I'm just I'm not like them. I'm different and I'm a little better. And you know what Jesus says to him? I'm paraphrasing. And son, that's why you're about to fall tonight. This is why you'll deny me. Because you believe this way about yourself. Everybody kind of with me here? Point number one again. Don't mistake esteem in the eyes of men for justification in the eyes of God. And also, don't mistake how deserving we feel uh, 
that doesn't justify us with God either. All right, let's take a deep breath. Am I wearing you out? You okay? You making it? <laughs> All right. So, you know, there were parts of the Old Testament where some of this language doesn't seem like Jesus was pulling out of the air. Um, Ezra prayed in one place. He said, Lord, our, our sins are above our head, Ezra 9, 6. My youngest son's name after Ezra, so special book to me. But he said, Lord, I can't even lift my eyes to you because our sins are over our heads as a nation in this case. And so it seemed to be, in other words, when it says that the fella didn't lift his eyes to heaven, I think it's a commentary on his consciousness of his own sin. He was aware of it. He was deeply aware of it. Uh, it says he beat his chest. There are texts in the Old Testament that point to that as well, where people in deep grief about what has been done, about what their sin is in God's eyes, would beat their breasts in grief. And so he does that too. And then pay attention to this as well. Uh, the Bible, or Jesus in the parable, says a lot about what the Pharisee said. Like it talks about what he said for a while. Words, words, words. Uh, my oldest son calls it talky talk talk. He's like, all right, I'm tired of all this talky talk talk. You know, let's get to it, all right? But you know what's emphasized with the tax collector? His posture. His posture. And I mean more than his physical posture. I think maybe what Jesus is demonstrating to us is his inner posture. I don't want to make magical the beating of the breast or the can't lift the eyes to heaven. The Bible talks about all kinds of ways we can pray, all kinds of postures we can pray to God. But I think that maybe with this fella, the posture he took spoke of where he was at in certain ways uh, toward God. Uh, he felt his sin. But he felt something else, too. He felt something else, too. It says, this is what he prayed. Yes, thank you. Uh, so I won't say that scripture again. Uh, just so you know. I'll keep moving. All right, so that's what he He says in verse 13, uh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. This, too, is a phrase you can catch in several places in the Old Testament. Psalm 78, uh, Psalm 79, verse 9. And when it's used in the Old Testament, it's typically translated something like this. Atone for me. And so the word, forgive me for using a little bit of a technical word. Can we show that word? Be merciful to me. It is the word hilasteti or hilasterion. Everybody say that together. Hilasterion. So now you can go to Starbucks and just throw around Greek words. You can sit with your back to someone else 
invite a friend and say something like this. You know, dude, I was just thinking about hilasterion this morning. I couldn't get it off my mind. And I promise you, the person in the booth next to you will be like, all right, so uh, be merciful to me. There's different words you can use for mercy. Uh, there's more like general words that mean something, basically mean something like God cut us a break, something like that. Or, you know, would you, would you just kind of let this one go? This is not this word. Hilasterion really strongly carries the idea, y'all, of atonement, of a sacrifice being offered. In fact, if I were to take you to the Old Testament and to the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, if you were to see the Ark of the Covenant, it had a top on it. The top on it, or the cover, looked kind of like a throne made of angels or cherubim. Nobody sat on this throne of angels. It was just a throne. Looked empty, but it seemed like it represented where God sat. The top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat or the atonement cover or the hilasterion. It was the place where the high priest went in every year for the whole nation, only him, and took the blood of a spotless lamb and applied it to the cover of the altar and the sins of the nation were forgiven. Lord, would you grant that that would be for me. May the sacrifice be for me. Would you atone for me? Amen? And so uh, let me show you one other scripture real quick. Let me turn you over to Romans chapter 3, if you go with me there. Romans, the third chapter. Guys making it? Look at Romans chapter 3. Let's start at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom, now here it is, whom God put forward as a hilasterion or a propitiation. Your Bible say anything different there? Okay, so whom God put forward as a propitiation, a mercy, an atonement, by his blood, to be received by faith. This was how God's righteousness, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Amen? Uh, Lord... Be merciful to me. Let me mention three things I think that the tax collector realized that the Pharisee did not. 
Three things I think the tax collector grasped that I think the Pharisee didn't. First, my sisters and my brothers, I think the tax collector knew that he needed atonement. He needed atonement. Uh, His prayer is kind of equivalent to what can I say? I have no excuses. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. I need your mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. What else can I say? Let the sacrifice be for me. Please have mercy on me. And so he knows he needs it. Do you think the Pharisee knows that? Now, I think the Pharisee thinks he's good. I think the Pharisee thinks that he's maybe above that. Second thing, he also knew that the atonement was undeserved by him. He couldn't lift his eyes to heaven. You know, I, there's a certain way in which, y'all, don't get me wrong, the Bible says in the New Testament that we are to come confidently to the throne of grace. There are beautiful pictures of God beckoning us. Come on, I want you here. Powerful pictures of his reception, but never pictures of our presumption. If you kind of follow me in, never pictures of our, you know, kind of traipsing in there and with a sense of entitlement. And uh, I think that the tax collector powerfully demonstrates this. He knew that the atonement was undeserved for him, by him. Beat his breast. A little technical, but he, he prayed it in a way like he, it was a passive, to use the language, but he prayed it kind of like this. May it be. May it be for me, Lord. Permit it to be. Could it be for me? It was, there was a a humility to his request. Is it possible that the sacrifice, he was probably there at the time of sacrifice in the Jewish ritual, and maybe he's doing something like this. Is it possible that that could be for me? Somebody like me. But the last thing I think is crucial. He says, finally, I think he did come to hope and believe that the atonement was provided for him. That in the grace of Christ, in the goodness of God, and you know what, you, you know what me, and you, me and you have is we have the, the ongoing example of Christ and of the New Testament where Jesus Christ seeks to save the lost. Now, you know, one reason why this is important as we draw things to a close is when I don't approach God this way, I might get insulted by him. You know, there were people that were insulted by Jesus. He would say something like this. The spirit of the Lord is on me so that I might open the eyes of the blind. And you know what the Pharisees would be like? Oh, so what, we blind? (laughs) And then he would say, Jesus would go, oh, okay, I'm sorry, did I insult you? Well, how about this one? I'll set free 
those who were captive. And then the Pharisees would go, bro, we ain't slaves to nobody. And then he would say, uh, okay. <laughs> so Jesus was always trying to figure out, like, how can I serve you all? And when he would speak of the things he came to do for us sinners, the Pharisees would get offended by it. Like, they don't apply it to me. I have to fight this sometimes. Even as a Christian, I may drift into times of quiet self-justification. And I start to forget the cross. And sometimes the Lord in his goodness humbles me. Might even let me fail. And so that I go, what just happened? What's wrong with me? And then maybe we can do serious business again. I'm not saying that salvation is temporary or anything like that. I'm just saying there are times we need to be reminded. You might call it brokenness. But it's a brokenness that leads y'all to a confidence. The closing verse reads like this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Actually, the name of my message was Humbled. And if I conclude, can conclude with this, um, the, the doctrine of justification by faith through grace alone is massive. But what I appreciate about this passage is that the more I'm in tune with my justification, the free mercy that God has given us in Christ, it breaks me. It humbles me. It leads me to my neighbor with more understanding. It softens me. It helps me better to enter into another man's skin. And it reminds me that I need this cross and this Savior. I need him every moment of every day and all that he has done. I'm never without need for him. Amen? Thank you, Father, for all you've done in Christ, for your people, for us, for me. So keep us, O oh Lord, freshly at, and squarely at the foot of the cross in the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>